This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Yo, this is Flip Gordon. CVB Chris Family. This is Liam O'Rourke, author of Crazy Like a Fox. Hey, this is your Olympic hero, Kurt Angle, and you're listening to Top Rope Nation. Oh, it's true. It's damn true. Ladies and gentlemen, it is now time! Oh, no. Oh, yeah! I finished these fights. Give me a hell yeah! Top Rope Nation. Learn to love it! It's the best thing going today. What's going on, wrestling fans? It's episode 128 of Top Rope Nation. Ryan, Justin, and Kyle here to break down all the latest in the world of pro wrestling. It's been a few weeks, guys, but uh, we've got a lot to talk about tonight. We've got some big topics to hone in on. And uh, before we get into that, Kyle, how's your week going? How the last couple weeks been since I have talked to you last? I think we'll talk in just a minute about why we haven't done a show in a few weeks, but what's been going on with you? Right now, I'm drinking the Aldi knockoff of White Claw, so I'm not doing too good, really. Oh, man. What's what's that called? <laughs> Vista Bay. Vista Bay. You know, Aldi actually has some pretty good wine, that Winking Owl <laughs> everyone always talks about, but uh, have not had the White Claw seltzer knockoff myself. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, you know, I didn't have any soda, and I didn't want to drink scotch for some reason tonight, so... And we didn't have any good beer. We didn't have many good beers in the old downstairs fridge. You got to replenish it. So, but we did have quite a few Vista Bays. So mm. that's what I'm going with. <laughs> if you guys are new to Top Rope Nation, we usually have a good beverage on hand as we talk pro wrestling. I myself, Kyle, I actually have something a little rare in my hands right now. My wife was down in the great city of Des Moines, Iowa, earlier oh, this I week. Thought you were going to say crack. Not this evening. Okay. <laughs> and uh, she picked me up some uh, Barntown Brewing, great new brewery down in Des Moines. Well, it's not that new. It's been around for a couple of uh, years. But I got the Neon Hazy IPA. Tasting mighty fine tonight. Oh, sounds good. Yeah. Justin Joint, uh, you're kind of the scotch man around these parts. How's your week going? What do you got in the glass? Uh, well, uh, my, my week is good. Uh, it feels like the world's been uh, flipped upside down. Um, it, you know, the NBA all-star game was actually entertaining. Uh, the XFL might actually be built to last and, uh, the Oscars got it right. Uh, further evidence by, uh, someone today complaining about it. As far as the drink of choice, uh, Colorado's, uh, finest craft beer, Coors Light. <sighs> the old CL smoothie, as you mm. call it. <laughs> I, I have a question, Ryan, when, when your wife went down and got that, beer was troy price working behind the bar <laughs> i don't believe so kyle okay definitely okay. not yeah maybe he should be though because uh man that guy really screwed up well 
If he was, you'd probably be drinking the wrong beer, wouldn't you? We're not talking about the uh, the Iowa caucuses and the failure that that was. That that has gone on since our uh, our last show. But uh, no, she was down there on a work trip, and uh, she was actually out for lunch at uh, a place near this brewery. I'm like, before you head home, honey, you have to pick me up some Barntown Brewing. So shout out. They make some great stuff. So, as I said a second ago, we haven't been on the air in a few weeks. We've kind of, you know, behind the scenes here at Top Rope Nation, we've been debating the direction of this show. You know, we've been doing the show for three and a half years. We've got a lot of loyal listeners, a lot of loyal patrons of the show who will get their shout out here in a little bit. But we'd like to see this broadcast grow at a faster pace. And we've been talking about what could we do. And we reached out to some people. And uh, on next week's show, we should have some big news to announce. Uh, the contract has been signed, but uh, we're still going through the process. So next week, we'll be talking all about that. But uh, I know I speak for all of us guys. Pretty excited. You guys feeling good about this? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, we'll have we'll have more to talk about next week. But in the meantime, if you're tuning in for the first time or if you're a longtime listener and you've never done so, hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Google Play, Podbean, wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, like I said, Patreon.com. If you sign up, you can check out what we're talking about behind the scenes right now. You can check out the exclusive podcasts such as Top Rope Nation Classics, Top, no- Top Rope Nation Extra, and uh, in the next week, I'm going to be debuting something new on there. I haven't even talked to you guys about this, but uh, one of the listeners of Not the show... Not my format sheet, Tony. <laughs> one of the listeners of the show, my friend Aaron up in Minnesota, he made a suggestion to me. He said, you know, you guys have pretty good uh, wrestling collections. I you know, like me personally, I've got a lot of uh, pro wrestling figures around here and memorabilia I've collected over the years. He said, why don't you showcase some of that on your YouTube channel? That'd be a good draw for the Patreon page. So I think what I'm going to start doing, and I'll have you guys once in a while maybe pull some things from your collections, is just post a couple, you know, behind the scenes uh, videos exclusive to the Patreon page where we we just show off something from our collection maybe that we haven't dug out of storage in a while, and uh, just throw that up for the people funding us on Patreon. So I'm gonna post something over the weekend. I'll get out the boxes from my storage room. I'll find something cool to show off and tell you guys the story about that. So if you want those exclusive videos as well as the exclusive podcast, again, patreon.com slash top rope nation. And so with that said, I'll make sure to move my bong. <laughs> don't, don't include that. We might get thrown off the air. Okay. Uh, with that said, let's go to in the news. All the latest wrestling news. Get behind the scenes inside a rental. One nine hundred nine oh nine ninety nine hundred. Calls cross the buck forty nine per minute. Kids, get your parents' permission, but call right now. All right, so guys, in the news, uh, there's been a lot going on, but we wanted to kind of stick to the big topics tonight, and the big topic that I'm seeing coming up in my Twitter feed lately is about this new WWE documentary series on the so-called Ruthless Aggression Era. Um, I've only seen the first episode. I know the first two are out. The second episode focuses in on uh, John Cena's arrival. But just kind of throwing it around the horn here, how much of this have you guys watched? And uh, in general, would you give it a thumbs up, a thumbs down, or a thumbs in the middle so far? Let's start with Mr. Justin Joint. I'm a bad person to ask 
because um, these kind of docs from WWE, I, I think I, I like more than just like wrestling in general. I mean, the, this stuff is just cracked to me. Even when it's not very good, I, I still enjoy it quite a bit. Um, I have watched both of them. The, the second one is much better. I think the first one, a lot of it's just stuff we've, if you, especially if you're like me and you've watched a lot of the documentary stuff, it's, it's all stuff we've seen before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Justin, this is like the period when we were first getting to know each other. That was one of the things that popped into uh, my head watching this. I mean, these were like the topics that we were talking about at work almost 20 years ago when we became friends and found out each other were wrestling fans. So yeah. yeah. Uh, Kyle, what did you think? Uh, basically what Justin said. Um, I thought episode one started with a lot of filler. Things that, you know, a lot of, you know, glad handing and patting on the back regarding winning the Monday Night Wars that we've heard a thousand times. Uh, there were certainly some tall tales in that first episode that we'll get into, I know, here in a moment. And I certainly would co-sign Mr. Joint's viewpoint that episode two covering the rise of john cena was much better i may have to watch that when we get off the air tonight but uh that that's generally what i have seen as well is that the the second episode was much better the first episode like you said both of you uh a little loose with the facts <laughs> to, to put it yes. mildly um the so first... I, I, I was trying to figure out what was uh you know a bigger stretch you know <laughs> Some of the reasons for the WWE struggles are Mike Bloomberg trying to like trick people into thinking Obama endorsed him. <laughs> and I promise the, the big announcement we'll have next week is not that Mike Bloomberg has bought out Top Rope Nation. That is that is not the case. But uh, no, yes, I agree. No, the thing that everyone is talking about is uh, the first thing I saw, in fact, when this debuted over the weekend was the, I think it was David Bixenspan talking about... The WWF, yeah, the WWF and the way that they went about talking about how they became WWE, you know, so if, if you were watching wrestling at the time, if you were covering wrestling like I was for WrestleView.com at that point in time, uh, if you're getting the newsletters, you were following along when this all went down. And uh, the way they portrayed it on the show, guys, is this was a big idea from Vince McMahon to uh, kind of rebrand the company. <laughs> Kyle, what do you think about the way that they uh, they went about explaining this? So I already knew before I watched it. So like I was like ready for it. When they started talking about it, I was like, oh, here we go. So like when you know it already, it kind of lessens the blow. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. all right. But it is still so silly. Like, the fact that they thought they could get away with it, I mean, maybe they just don't care. It's one of those things. And they kind of, like, hang Bruce Pritchard and Brian Gewertz out to dry because they Gewertz and Pritchard clearly answered reasonable questions. You, you could tell from their answers. They're like, yeah, you know, you kind of get through it and, and you just run with it. Well, they clearly were, you know, they probably had talked about what actually happened. But... You know, they, they were able to, like, use the, the documentaries, able to use those answers kind of in the mm. context of the story they were trying to tell, which was, you know, I thought kind of hung those two guys out to dry, quite frankly. But, yeah, it's just it's so ridiculous. Like most anyone with the ability that has the desire to search why that name change happened will find out that there was a lawsuit and Jerry McDevitt actually lost. 
to the World <laughs> Wildlife Fund. So, you know, I, I just <laughs> that was like, come on now, man. Of, of all the stretches they've done in a documentary, this would actually rank, I think, among the worst. <laughs> it, I mean, it really was. Maybe they they feel like it's been so long now that uh, everyone forgot, or they got so many new fans that nobody really knows. But yeah, if you were if you're around at the time, it's freaking really bizarre. And the way they went about, oh, it worked. You know, who knew? Vince did it. World Wrestling Entertainment. It, yeah, it worked. It worked, like you said, because they lost the lawsuit. This is why you have the T-shirts of the uh, pandas with WWF with the steel chairs. What do you think the next trend will be? Where where will the business find that niche and, and go over the top once again and, and bring the masses back? The, some of the casual fans that have that have turned away. You know, I, I believe there's going to be a, a tidal wave uh, from an attitudinal standpoint, from a from a creative direction standpoint, and I think it's going to wash away a lot of uh, uh, of our ills. And I can't exactly put my finger on it, nor can I specifically articulate it to you at the moment. I just know it's on its way. Prophetic words to say the least. Shortly thereafter, the company was reimagined and rebranded in typical McMahon fashion. World Wrestling Entertainment. Get the F out. Vince got attitude. And he is the middle finger to the world. Okay, what are we going to do today? Uh, just give me a little off the side, Lou. How do you like it? Uh, Louie, who's better than you? It worked. Getting the F out was a way to keep some of the old attitude and an opportunity to begin the process of moving in a new direction. And with no F, WWE was born. A new look, same attitude, World Wrestling Entertainment. World Wrestling Entertainment? I, I just want, please, that'll never work. But it sure did. It's like 7-Eleven changed their name to 712. But I think Vince saw it as a positive mood anyway, because as he's famously said over and over again, he doesn't want a wrestling company, he wants an entertainment company. Things have to change sometimes, and it was difficult. But we got the F out and did what we do best, and that's entertaining. And that, that whole thing, I mean, we could do a whole show on what happened back then. But uh, basically the gist of it was Vince had made this agreement with the World Wildlife Fund that he wouldn't market the WWF worldwide by those initials. And he continued to do so. And there was a lawsuit, and they lost because Vince had made that agreement. It was pretty ironclad. Like, I mean, it was like the judge was like – because I think, you know, I, I read – um, fairly recently, because I think those back issues of the Observer were posted, you know, within the last year or so. Um, as a matter of fact, I know they were. Um, and you know, Meltzer kind of just, you know, just states it's pretty cut and dry here. And McDevitt was trying everything he could to, like, you know, explain the WWE side. The judge had none of it. I mean, it was a really cut and dry issue, mm-hmm. uh, stemming, of course, all from you know, WWF was in the seventies, the WWWF and Vince, you know, kind of peering into his soul that we would come to know and love all these years, thought that was too many W's. And there already was a WWF at that time, the World Wildlife Fund, and they entered that agreement at some point. Um, I can't remember when the agreement was actually made. 94, but, I just looked it up, 94. Okay, 94. Yeah. So um, it took a while 
obviously. I mean, back then, you know, we can get a society wasn't as, you know, there weren't as many lawsuits flying around in the 80s. But, you know, eventually an agreement was reached. And, yeah, you're right. He breached it pretty blatantly. Mm-hmm. So, this, yes, this was not some great, you know, Vince seeing the ratings falling and, and needing to shake up his promotion. He did not come up with this grand idea that, you know, he was going to change the name of his company. That was forced, folks. Yeah. I shouldn't have to tell you that. <laughs> they showed in all the promos with the get the F out that they ran back then and the T-shirts and all that. And, uh... Which all things considered, I thought was a very, a fairly clever marketing campaign. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I remember I went to a raw uh, fall of 2002. So this would have been, it was almost four months after the name change. They were still selling those T-shirts and a lot of people were buying them. So, yeah, I think they did the best that they made. They made the best out of the situation. It was totally on Vince, though, (laughs) completely on Vince. He had signed that law abiding agreement in 94 and they had to do it. So not the way that it went down in the uh, the series on the WWE Network. That is for sure. Uh, Justin, anything to add there? How about this, Justin? Let me ask you a question. What what was your initial reaction in 2002 when you heard that they were changing the name? Hmm. Boy, that is tough for me to remember because I was high most of that year. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be really awkward when Ryan throws it to me. It was like May 2002, if I remember right. I think it was I think it was just more of a shock. It's like um, I I remember, uh, you know, I grew up in, in one house and I remember like when I was 16 or 17, I came home and uh, after like a weekend away and my dad had painted the house a different color and it looked better, but it was still really jarring and took some time to get used to. But uh, for the most part, it was just a meh. I remember just as a fan, I was 18. uh, I just I thought it was uh, so hard to get used to. I was like, this sounds stupid. Entertainment and the name. Looking at the scratch logo without the F, I just thought it looked so weird, like so awkward. I th- I thought they were gonna have to just change the logo from that, that that wouldn't work. But of course, they use that logo almost pretty much right up until today. They just kind of reformatted it a little bit. Uh, but I I thought it was pretty jarring at first, Kyle. Yeah, it took me a while. Like I didn't want it to call it WWE. Yeah, I just thought it was I such a weird first. sounding name. Yeah, and, and this was that period, too, where I was kind of, for the first time, we talked about this when we did the Backlash show, too, in the Top Rope Classic, where I was kind of, like, really fading with the company. Oh, how apropos, given <laughs> the, the stuff we're about to talk out here, talk about here. Um, so I, I think, like, it came out of nowhere. I was about to graduate college when this happened, and I was not reading the newsletters, and it it caught me off guard. Like I remember, I remember like hearing rumblings, but I was like, yeah, that can't happen. It's always going to be the WWF. And then it wasn't the WWF and it was totally weird mm-hmm. for a little bit. And then like, I don't know by the summer I was probably, you know, like any of these other cosmetic name changes that you have now, you know, in six months from now, we'll all be saying Murphy. Like it's nothing. <laughs> I guess Justin we would have known each other when this went down because I think it was the previous fall that we met so around this time I was probably bringing the printed out observers to our uh, part-time job and leaving them in the break room and you were reading them on your lunch break so you probably had all the dirty details uh, knew what was going down at the time a little bit um, but like you said you don't remember that very clearly <laughs> you might have been in the break room not actually eating lunch who knows I know you- 
You were there the night, the one time I got uh, stoned at work. <laughs> I was. That is an accurate statement. Oh, memories. So, or lack of if, if only I had them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so that was 2002. Now, the other thing that they focused on, they spent a lot of time on in this episode was the 2001 WCW invasion. And I'm really curious what you guys think about the I way that they portrayed it. was unnecessary, kind of. Except just to make more excuses. Yeah, you know, I don't... When you think of these eras, it's kind of arbitrary to, like, pin down what's the ruthless aggression era, what's the attitude era. I guess, like, in my mind before this series started, I didn't really pin that into the era I think of as the, quote, ruthless aggression era. But I guess... Once WCW went out of business, we transitioned to that by their timeline. You know, I guess to be fair, I'm going to kind of walk back my statement. It, it does provide some sort of framework for the decline of the company, ratings-wise, interest-wise, which was the story they were trying to tell initially, that, you know, the Monday Night Wars ended. You know, it was supposed to be this great thing for WWE, and then it kind of wasn't. Mm-hmm. So so it, it was important to include. Yeah. But oh, how they included it! So, <laughs> what do we think of the portrayal of the WCW invasion? What's that? History shall be written by the winners. That's very, very true. Very true. Um, Justin, your initial thoughts on the way that they portrayed the WCW invasion versus how you remember it? Well, I mean, they, they, at least I think I remember Bruce Pritchard talking about it pretty honestly. Where. You know, they just weren't able to bring in the talent that would have made it uh, what the fans actually wanted to see. Um, And so the, you know, fans' expectations couldn't be met. Now, granted, they didn't do themselves a whole lot of favors story-wise, and they probably didn't utilize some of the former uh, WCW talents that they had on their roster. I know uh, uh, Kyle has a really good uh, fantasy booking idea when it comes to that with Jericho. Um, but I don't know, maybe, maybe I missed the part that uh, where they kind of glossed over uh, that invasion. So, okay. Like they very, they really harped on the fact that, well, the WC, the WCW we inherited and bought wasn't the WCW. The people wanted you know, they didn't they basically didn't get any of the big stars when they bought the company. And it is true that all of those big stars had these deals with Time Warner. And I'm not going to, uh, you know, look down on anyone who can basically just sit at home and collect a lot of money. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, as much as people are like, oh, I, I would, you know, they should have just like. Um, you know, you know, Goldberg should just said, you know, screw it and been a man and come to stop it. What would you have done, listener? Stop it. Now, that said, um, in the case of Goldberg specifically, I think the WWE should have made a financial offer because his was the last one, I think, that expired because they didn't bring him in till 2003. Mm-hmm. So he was, you know, the last major name that expired. In his case, I would have made a deal. And, you know, we can get into fantasy booking all day long uh, with the invasion that would take probably three days. But but if you look at the timeline, and and Justin alluded to this, they didn't do themselves. This was not touched on in the documentary, and it's kind of what perturbed me a little bit. They did not do themselves any favors with the booking, with what they did have. 
okay? They, they did inherit some big stars. They had DDP, and they proceeded, uh, you know, that feud with The Undertaker, you know, may, it was such an abortion, it would make Roe versus Wade blush. <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, that was it, it, offensive how bad that was. And then, you know, Booker T is beaten like a drum right away. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's funny that this is called the ruthless aggression era. That's what they want to call it. That's fine. Once the Monday Night Wars era started, it it was actually, or ended, I, I mean, it was the start of an era that actually still continues today. That I, uh, and the name I call it is the lack of long-term planning era. Think about it. For the last 19 years now, this is a company that has been besieged by a lack of long-term booking. And it really started with the invasion. It's very clear they didn't know what they were doing. And yes, I know Bruce Pritchard would, you know, just yell at me and say, oh, it's easy to play armchair quarterback now. But there were a lot of things that became apparent watching rewatching that era through this documentary that they should have been able to anticipate and they made wrong decisions mm-hmm. just to be real quick. I mean, you look at it, WCW started out as a baby face company when Shane showed up on nitro and cut the promo. And I, and they did that because they probably figured, Oh, well, everyone knows we bought WCW. We've got to do something big tonight. But they weren't thinking it through. Anybody with a straight, you know, mind would know WCW has to be a heel group invading the WWE. You have trained your audience over the span of the last five years to hate WCW. And so when Booker and Bagwell got booed out of the building in Tacoma, I mean, who didn't see that coming? Yeah. Especially in that WCW stronghold of Tacoma. Right. So there was that. And then there was, you know, tur- doubling. You know, I think you and I went through this in great detail on the Backlash show, Ryan, with the doubling down of the Austin heel turn is just atrocious. Critics, I don't want to hear how great Austin's character work was in 2001. I agree with you. It was. Should never happened. Yeah. It's unforgivable that yeah. they doubled down on that heel turn. They had a chance to get out of what was one of the, what was probably the worst booking decision in company history, turning Steve Austin heel at WrestleMania 17. They had a chance because of WCW to get out of it, and they chose instead to double down. That's really dumb, and that is not the fault of who they inherited in WCW. People did not want to see Steve Austin leading a group of WCW mid-carters as the invasion. Yeah, no shit. Okay, I mean, yeah, they didn't want to see the WCW mid-carters, and you're not going to put Sean O'Hare over the rock, okay? That's another thing. You're not. But if you would have thought about this long-term, look when Ric Flair was brought in. November. Look when Hogan and the NWO was brought in. February, if you would have taken your time and not just try to hotshot things in the moment, you could have dragged that out where Flair and the NWO would have come in in an organic manner to kind of amp up the WCW side. But they didn't do that Mm -hmm. because they were always booking for the night or whatever. Yeah, you kind of hit on a lot of my thoughts. I think even at the time, my thoughts were that they weren't legitimizing WCW at all. It seemed like the WCW guys were losing every single time out. And so even though, yes, they weren't the top tier stars that they had got, although you said they did have a few like Booker and DDP, uh, they made them, they made like the entire WCW roster that came in seem so like minor league compared to WWE. And that's on them. 
you know, yes, they weren't the biggest names, but they could have made them seem like big deals, and they didn't do that. They didn't book or, it right. Or they could have just waited and been like, you know, again, they did need to bring some other people in. That the ro- that roster, to Pritchard's point, I think it, Justin points out, and, and I think it was Bruce Pritchard that made the point, that no one was really going to buy, you know, Sean O'Hare, Mark Gingerack and the last vestiges of the natural born thrillers going against Steve Austin and the rock. It, that just doesn't work. You, you, you're not putting the natural born thrillers over Steve Austin. You're just not, if you think that you should, you're wrong. <laughs> you're just simply wrong. But you know, again, you read the tea leaves. Justin said about Jericho and, and things that I've talked, we've talked about off air. I, I think Chris Jericho was the guy who should have led the WCW invasion. It was right there for the take in a King of the ring, uh, you know, he could have turned heel and Austin could have turned babyface. You could have basically done a double turn in that match mm-hmm. with the Booker interference. Yeah. And it would have made a lot more sense. And, you know, it could have got, it would have tied back to Jericho was a WCW guy not that long ago. Mm-hmm. Bring in Goldberg, bring in Flair early. And I think you're off and running. I will say that I do think they were pretty honest as far as their shortcomings with a lot of the writing during this period though. I mean, especially like Gwertz, they talked about how, you know, it was, it was a whole different ball game to book a wrestling show when you didn't have competition anymore. And they, I mean, they fully admitted that they lost something in the writing room. You know, the, the show wasn't as edgy anymore. It wasn't as creative anymore. So they did, they did own up to that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but was this the first documentary that Gwertz was in? I don't remember ever seeing him. I think others. it is. Cause, Cause that was, Actually, probably my biggest takeaway of the entire thing was them actually interviewing him, getting yeah. some like kind of fresh insight for somebody like me who has watched every single one of these types of things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I am interested to watch the rest of this series, though. I mean, it's it's kind of I don't know what you guys think looking back at that era. For me, that era is, has always seemed like a really weak era in WWE history. But then I follow a lot of people on Twitter that are a little bit younger than me that look back on it a little with. You know more rose-colored glasses on, I guess. Um, we we often talk on the show how the Attitude Era hasn't aged that well, but at the time it was still fresh, and we were coming off like the most popular period in, in wrestling history. And it just seemed to me, watching at the time, like that so-called ruthless aggression era was like such a, a downturn creatively. Uh, but w- you know, when you look back at it now. Some of it has aged pretty well. We've also talked about how SmackDown was really good during that period. And uh, there were some big stars that rose through the ranks. Uh, obviously, Cena, Batista, Lesnar, guys like that. Um, so I'm interested to see how they portray the rest of that era. But uh, I'm, I'm just curious to close up on, on this topic here. You know, How have you traditionally looked back on this ruthless aggression era as, as a good period or as like kind of a down period, Justin? Um, I say creatively, it definitely went down. Um, but for me, what, you know, what I liked about it was the uptick in match quality. I mean, especially after, you know, WrestleMania 18, you got one of my all time favorites in 19 and 20 was really good. And they, it, it does seem that they really started leaning into that more, um, probably because they started having the talent that could do it. I mean, Angle was in his prime then. You had Lesnar, you know, Edge was coming into his own. Um, Redacted, obviously. Uh, Guerrero <laughs> was coming into his own. Um, so it, it was a great time for just 
the I'd say just the in ring product. Mm-hmm. If if you look at the talent roster, it's insane. But it just comes back to the booking was not good, and you know after you know business had been so good from '98 to '01, you know it was the first time. I mean, again, you know people now are just used to post WrestleMania season. Well, in, there's kind of a malaise; interest goes down. You know, Mania season is basically the peak of the year. Well, 2001 was the first time in five years that interest fell off after WrestleMania. Yeah. Go back and look. That 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 was not the case. 96, 97, 98, 99, 2000. Mm-hmm. Look at the look at the numbers. The po- the April pay per view did, or whatever the post Mania pay per view was. It was usually backlash in that day. Yeah, it, it would do well. And then you know when they turned Austin heel again, it went down. And another thing too. Look, obviously losing Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin the way they did is a gut punch. And I think that was the term they even used. And that is something that could not be overcome. But I cannot harp on it enough that the lack of long-term planning, which was not touched on. And Pritchard will talk about it a little bit on his podcast when he's got a little more creative license. But the lack of long-term planning absolutely exacerbated all the issues that were brought up on the documentary and made it much worse. Oh, two man. I mean, if you go back, the booking will make your fucking head hurt. <laughs> and, and as far as my view on the art, I think O2 and O3, um, if you watch stuff in a vacuum, it's probably pretty good. But on the whole, I thought those years absolutely stunk and particularly raw. Mm-hmm. Um, with the, the tri- Triple H just dominating on raw, I just thought was not good at all. Um, things got good again, you know, late 04. Uh, you know, into 05, and I'm, we're going to hit on that, you know, well, they'll hit on that, you know, with Cena and Batista's concurrent rises. Um, you know, that they, they found a couple new, they found the new stars they needed, but yeah. it took a while. I'd concur. I think that 04 to like early 06 era, it got pretty good. But yeah, 02, 03 were rough for me, at least as a fan. Uh, uh, I mean, creatively, look at, at least. Yeah, that WrestleMania 19 number, the business. So the pay-per-view buys, they have never been able to explain that, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is like, it sticks out like a sore thumb when you look at Mania buy rates from that era. Funny you should and mention I think that, it's... though, because Invasion, the WCW, the WWF Invasion show actually did a good number, despite all yes. these weaknesses. They didn't really I even was talk there. about that. I was there live. And do you know why? Be- what happened right before that show? We talked about this, I think, at some point. I think I one of the top row classics. They turned Steve Austin back babyface. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Invasion did a better number than SummerSlam that yeah. year. Yeah. And then they doubled down. I cannot stress enough. How they didn't even. I'm surprised they didn't even mention that on this documentary. To be honest with you, because that was like one of the things. That was one of the wins of that period. But they didn't. Yeah, they didn't mention that at all. Well, so. because they probably don't want to, <laughs> you know, bring up how they turned Steve Austin heel and what a, what stupidity <laughs> that was. Yeah. All right. So before but we the, get to the, the Cena one, I just wanted to mention the Cena yeah, one. I thought. That one was really honest how they actually – I was pleasantly – I knew it, but it seems like a lot of people on Twitter didn't. He was very close to being fired in 2002. Yeah, you know, he I had that great that. debut, and people forgot. He floundered until, you know, Stephanie saw the freestyle rapping bit. Mm. And, you know, he, he was very close to being caught in 02. Yeah. And, and that – and my other favorite part was when he showed up for his TV debut against Angle, the first thing Vince McMahon said to him, he just was – Get this guy a haircut. (laughs) 
Yeah, I, I think uh, this is going to be an ongoing topic the next couple of weeks as, as this series continues to roll out. So we'll definitely be talking about it again. This isn't the last time, but uh, if you've seen it, let us know your thoughts. You can tweet us at Top Rope Nation. You can send us an email. We'll read it on the air and talk about it. Top Rope Nation at gmail.com. And guys, before we get to our topic of the week, the big topic, which is uh, NXT direction, one other thing in the news, and that is uh, some of these names being rumored for the Hall of Fame this year. And uh, I just wanted to hit on this because we had a poll up on our Twitter account the other day that got a lot of action. They The recent rumors are that JBL and the British Bulldog, Davey Boy Smith, are going in. There's also been rumors about uh, the Bella Twins and Jushin Liger going in. Uh, we had the, the Twitter poll up about who was more deserving, JBL or Bulldog. About two-thirds of our voters out of around 230-some cast, I believe, picked the Bulldog. Um, and so I guess I wanted to talk about, just briefly, are the Bellas deserving and are JBL deserving? Because this this often comes up. I've talked with people all the time where they, they talk about the WWE Hall of Fame and if so-and-so is deserving. Now, we know there's a lot of names in the Hall of Fame that maybe from a technical, technical perspective, we would disagree on. And you can check the archives, you know, our pre-WrestleMania shows over the years. We often talk about the Hall of Fame and the worthiness of some of the entrants. But um, personally, I thought a lot of the hate the Bellas were getting was bizarre. I actually do very much think the Bellas are deserving of the WWE Hall of Fame. If you look at the names that are already in there, now I think Nikki as a performer, she got pretty good. I thought I, I really enjoyed Nikki Bella towards the end of her run. Now, mm-hmm. Brie was never great in the ring. We even did a show one time on her themed around her injuring people. But I think they're <laughs> deserving because of the fact that they did really expand the audience. I mean, I cannot I cannot emphasize enough how total Bellas reached so many new people that had never even thought of pro wrestling. You know, my wife, I cannot, I cannot get her to watch wrestling loves total divas, loves total Bellas. And I think a lot of people over the years checked out wrestling because of that. So I think they're deserving just because of the fact that they expanded the audience and you know, that was an untapped area. So what do you guys think about the Bellas and their, are you, are you on my side or are you more on the side of all the critics on uh, Twitter, Kyle? Um, I don't think there's many more women in the Hall of Fame more deserving than the Bellas. Okay, so you're on my side. Yeah. All right, Justin. I, I just, I, I, I mean, you're right that they grew the audience, and some people may not like that audience that grew, but it's actually really important to draw casual fans. I know mm-hmm. some people kind of don't understand that, but those people are dumb. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, when you look at some of the recent uh, female, let's take, let's just go real. I just want. I'm just looking through like the other female. Uh, inductees here real quick so last year no that was 2018 2019 who uh tori they're more i'm sorry they are more worthy than tori wilson they're more worthy than ivory they're more worthy than beth phoenix they're more worthy than jacqueline they're more worthy than alundra blaze and we could keep going yeah well said (laughs) i'm guessing justin you're not going to disagree yeah no it's a it's I, I don't it, it's got to come from a, a place of sexism or, or something to say they're not worthy. Yeah, especially it, in either either way you draw the line. If you base it on WWE's uh, set of whatever the bar is to get into the Hall of Fame, they're definitely worthy. 
Um, but if you uh, set the bar differently uh, or higher, I think they make it there too. That they're any way you cut it, they made a huge, huge impression on this business. Mm-hmm. Remember when we had Andrew on the show, and there was a discussion about how there there was a certain irony, you know, WWE uh, with the onset of the women's revolution. Over the last year or so, there's actually been like less women into the women's wrestling. Mm-hmm. And it was, we talked about the Bellas. To me, that was like such an eye opening conversation where the Bellas are who the female audience is more interested in, more so than I think, you know, these more accomplished athletes mm-hmm. that you often see. Episode 86, check it out in the archives. Yeah, I, I do remember that. And it's true. It, it shows the star power. This is this is a business about selling tickets and drawing eyeballs. You know, this isn't... You talk about the Hall of Fames and NFL and MLB and NBA and all that, where it's based on athletic talent, it's based on statistical numbers and things like that. A pro wrestling Hall of Fame is not based on how many five-star matches you have. That can be a piece of it, but when it comes down to it, pro wrestling is about selling tickets and drawing eyeballs, and the Bellas drew a lot of eyeballs to the product that were previously not interested in the product. So, and are probably not interested in it now yes. because they're gone. So, I mean, they were stars. I mean, big stars uh, among that demographic. So, yeah, I was I was really taken aback by some of the hate they were getting on social media because I'm thinking, like, people that think they're really smart about wrestling maybe aren't so smart about wrestling because these two are most definitely deserving of the honor. By the um, way, on that note, stay tuned when we talk about NXT. Yes. <laughs> yes. So a couple minutes real quick. The last one, JBL. What do we think about JBL going in the hall of fame? So, um, maybe I'll let you guys go first before I give my opinion on this. Uh, Justin, how do you view JBL and his hall of fame candidacy? Uh, once again, I go back to, are we judging it by WWE standards or ours? Um, but be honest either way. I, I think he is. He had, uh, uh, in a time when it's really hard to be an actual heel, he pulled it off for an entire year. And I think he did a pretty good job of it too. Now, some of the outside the ring stuff, it might get a little bit more complicated. Uh, but he had a long run. He had a memorable run as JBL and also as uh, Bradshaw as part of the APA. Mm-hmm. Okay, Kyle. So when you posted the poll JBL versus Bulldog, I was like, well, everyone's going to say Bulldog. And I was like, I don't know if that's fair. And then I became more intrigued when, you, as you said, it was initially – uh, JBL was winning the poll. So I found that to be a little intriguing. You know, I saw a lot of people standing for JBL. They really are. You can make the case that they've got fairly similar arguments to get it. Now, I think Bulldog's more diverse a performer, but if you look at it, they both initially cut their teeth in a tag team and then went solo. Um, you know, the Bulldog didn't have is harder right turn character wise as JBL did. Um, but you know, JBL did something Bulldog never did. And that was be the world champion. Now that was in an era where you had two brands. Um, quite frankly, business plummeted when he was the champion on SmackDown. It was, um, character wise. He is very good. I agree with Justin. But I mean, business wise, there's no argument that that was not a successful 
run on top. Um, as Paul Heyman so eloquently put it, the only reason you were world champion for years because Triple H didn't want to work Tuesdays, uh, which is true. But, you know, no one's going to make the case that British Bulldog ever should be WWE champion. I mean, come on. I mean, I, I love the Bulldog, and he had a lot of good matches. At no point should Davey Boy Smith have been the World Wrestling Federation heavyweight champion. Yeah, no. during during that era, no. During JBL's period, it, it probably would have happened. Yes, yeah. it would have. But, um, J, you know, I, I swear to God, I mean, this is a compliment with JBL. He is a better Baron Corbin. <laughs> I, and I really mean that as a compliment in the sense to what Justin just said, in that in an era where it's hard to be a heel, he's a heel. And he really did the character well. And I think a lot of his good and, – and while he is forever stained by the fact that he SmackDown's ratings really went in the toilet when he was on top, he did a lot of great character work still even after that run was over. I mean his promo – to go back to that one-night stand pay-per-view, you know, which actually led to the Heyman line I just said, is – just jaw-droppingly good. Mm -hmm. I mean, he has that. I mean, he is just burying that audience something beautiful. And he really did do good. I mean, it's funny because everyone kind of saw him. Oh, it's freaking JBL. This guy who was like this, you know, who had this really long run as champion that he probably didn't deserve. But he, it didn't mean he didn't do great character work. I, the comparison to Corbin is they're both very good, effective heels that – probably shouldn't be at the very top of the card but that doesn't mean they're not good heels mm -hmm. just because they shouldn't be at the top of the card you know the, the, that that's where the comparison comes in yeah all right yeah our poll had 227 votes <laughs> bulldog got 68 percent to jbl's 32 i think uh, it's a little too lopsided quite frankly i hmm. I disagree i think bulldog is far more deserving than jbl um but i think they're both deserving uh, via the WWE standards. Um, yeah. By my own standards, I would say Bulldog is Hall of Fame worthy and JBL is not. But that's just my opinion. Um, I, I, I Personally, I never really bought JBL as in that role at the top of the company. I just could never get past. You know, I know everyone loved it. I never really liked APA, to be honest with you. I, I didn't really care for the group, the tag team. Um, and I just... I just never bought him in that role as a top single star. I, I would always go back to his run in the 90s as Justin Hawk Bradshaw, and I could just never get over it. <laughs> I, I didn't find him. I, I do agree that he cut some really good heel promos, but I would just – maybe some of his stuff with Eddie, but I can't say there's any of his matches that I would really want to go back and watch versus Bulldog had – yeah, Bulldog had a, several matches I would want to go back and watch. And I yeah. think Bulldog was a much bigger star than JBL. I think Bulldog sold a lot of tickets. He headlined a show that was the top-drawing show in WWE history for a number of years with Brett at Wembley. Um, and so I think I think Bulldog, star power-wise, is on a whole different level than JBL. And uh, I know Bulldog blew up a lot in matches, but I think I would, if I when push comes to shove, I'd rather watch a bulldog match. Than and here's our next match. guest, Bret Hart, to expound on that issue. <laughs> yeah. um, I'd rather watch but, a bulldog match, though. Okay, so to, to your point about how it was difficult to accept him in that role, there's a key reason for that, and it actually wasn't his fault. Um, I think I used the term hard right turn character-wise from APA to John Bradshaw Layfield. 
And I think the only modern comparison I can make is sort of Jinder Mahal. How, like, all this guy was just a, you know, because the APA, people remember the, the, I guess if there was a glory period of the APA, it was probably like 2000. But he didn't, they kind of floundered for a few years. And they even tried to push him, remember, as a solo babyface on Raw 2002. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the disastrous match with Scott Hall. Um, but they, it was such a hard right turn and that did him no favors. It's like they put this fresh coat of paint on him and all of a sudden Jay, you know, Bradshaw's a main event guy now mm-hmm. who could be world champion. And it was of course, because they had a huge hole because triple H did in fact refuse to go to SmackDown in 2004. Yeah. So I always thought what they should have done is send Randy Orton and this would have saved him from having to, that hideous babyface turn in 2004. Send Orton over to SmackDown. JBL could have kind of been like Orton's mentor, and they could have been like the top two heels on SmackDown with Orton as the champion and kind of JBL guiding him behind him. That's okay. what I thought they should have done in retrospect. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I just look at it as when I look at Bulldog, and maybe some of this is nostalgia because I was a kid at the time, but I see the British Bulldogs, you know, his tag team era as being like this really transformative tag team in the that's, 80s. That's very true. And I know a lot of that relies with Dynamite Kid, who was just one of the best in-ring performers of the era. But, you know, Davey was part of that, too. I just I think his resume is like way better than JBL. No question. But by WWE's definition, they're both Hall of Famers. By my own definition, Bulldog would be JBL would not be. If there was an Internet in 1985, and I guess there probably was, but it was not, you know, the military was using it. Yeah. Yes. It was not something that, you know, all three of us and, you know, millions of other people were on. But if there was an internet, like as we know it now in 1985, the British Bulldogs would have broken it. Yeah. I mean, people would have lost their shit and like demanded that they win the tag team titles in like two weeks. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, if, there's like a spotlight on one of like the those best of WWF tapes where they put like two of their early matches on them. And they're just doing stuff that you did not see. In the WWF in 1985, that move where Davey would press the guy over his head, Dynamite would go to the ropes and leap off the opponent's back who Davey was holding and do the uh, Chris Redacted headbutt. Mm-hmm. He's like insane <laughs> for 1985. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, I, the first time I went back and saw that match, you know, I think they were like working like Rene Goulet and somebody else. I was like, are you effing kidding me? Yeah. Yeah, there you go, guys. Use your uh, WWE Network. Look up some old Bulldogs matches if you haven't seen them. That's not on Network, that one. I can't remember. It's on other ones, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but point taken. I mean, yeah, that was was a transformative tag team. Bulldog himself was a big single star in the early 90s. Wembley Stadium. He had some memorable matches later in his career, too. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, I've always been a fan. And I think it's long overdue, so I'm glad that he's reportedly on the list. So, guys, should we get to the final topic, the main event of the week, and that is the state of WWE NXT. Kyle, you really wanted to talk about this topic this week coming off of TakeOver Portland. I know Kyle has deep thoughts, so before we get to Kyle, Justin bringing you into the conversation here, what were your thoughts on TakeOver Portland? Because... I don't. I don't think even in our text thread. I haven't really seen uh, what your thoughts in general were on the show. 
It took me three viewings to get through it. And that is not to say that it was bad. God, it's kind of hard to put into words. So I loved Keith Lee versus Dijakovic. I thought that was excellent. Uh, then you go into Dakota Kai versus Tegan Knox, and that lost me a little bit. And then Finn Balor versus Gargano. The first time I watched it, I, I was reaching for my phone a lot. Uh, and I ended up just after that match, I stopped watching and then started again the next night, rewatched Finn and Johnny, which it was a lot better on the second watch. But I guess my big complaint with that one is if that was going to be the finish with Finn, like having a dominant showboaty finish where he basically teabags Gargano to get the pin. <laughs> what, why does that match go 30 minutes? If that's the end, I mean, oh, feed this rant into my veins. You can tell <laughs> you, you can tell that exact same story and cut 10, at least 10 minutes out of that match. But, but I still lo- loved it. It was still probably, yeah. you know, my favorite Finn Balor match. Having said that, like that 15 minutes of limb work that went nowhere. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is why I started reaching for my phone, because frankly, <laughs> it, it, in in. In my heart of hearts, I knew that wasn't going to mean anything because as much as I love TakeOver and as consistently as the is the best wrestling product, or at least the one I enjoy the most, I knew that that stuff wasn't going to mean anything because there was going to be countless kickouts and spots that just don't matter, uh, which is you know where I really checked out on the Adam Cole and Ciampa match, which... Once again, it's like I know that comes off really negative, and I don't want to say it's bad, but they're doing so much stuff that it it negates a large portion of it. Just they could have told a really great story with Champa's, you know, neck injury, but you know he's getting, you know, uh, Canadian destroyed on the floor, and it just doesn't really mean a whole lot. <laughs> and then he gets left, and he gets pinned after a belt shot. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. A belt shot that sent him halfway across the ring when should she just kind of like drop on the spot? <laughs> you guys I, I didn't really think of it. Yeah. I guess I never really thought about the psychology of being hit with a title ball. It hasn't happened to me, so I don't know. I, I, I mean, I like, yeah, I just recently watched this match, uh, and yeah, that was a little bizarre how he got hit with the belt and jumped halfway across the ring. <laughs> I just thought that was a little strange, but okay. Go on, Justin. What about the so others? I guess, um, uh, the Ripley Belair match was fine. It didn't really do a whole lot for me. Um, I always love the tag team matches, uh, so that's right up there for me. Was that your favorite match on the show? And we can send that question around the horn. Well, it's it's probably neck and neck with Keith Lee and Dijakovic. Um, I thought they did a much better job of like the the big spot or the finishing maneuver and the no sell. It made a lot more sense, especially when that that pop-up power bomb mm-hmm. or the sitting power bomb, I should say mm-hmm. Keith Lee to Dijakovic where he was still kind of selling the maneuver or at least the damage he'd taken throughout the match, but was still powering through it, which is missing with a lot of the other guys. Um, it's just, it's starting to become diminishing returns with the no selling for me on these shows. So that that's what I have to say. Okay. Um, 
I, I agree with a lot of what you said. I will say, uh, I did really like the Balor Gargano match. I think it was Balor's best match in a couple of years. Um, I agree. They could have cut some time off of it. I liked a lot of the little details in the match. I think I texted you guys about it that night. Um, but yeah, like the selling spots, they did get a little long. I think the tag match was the best paced match of the show. You know, it was about 17 minutes long. It's right. I think, I think Balor Gargano was still my favorite match, but that's right on its heels. I didn't really care for the main event all that much. I thought it was good, but not like great. Uh, I really liked Keith Lee and Dominic Dijakovic. I thought that was a great opener. Um, the women's match with Dakota Kai and Tegan Knox, I find it like really, really hard to watch Tegan Knox because of the knee injury she's had, and you're just kind of like cringing, hoping she doesn't get injured again. Uh, but it was it was good. It was you know for what it was, it was pretty good. So I thought the show opened with uh, several pretty good matches in a row. But I had issues with the main event, which I know Kyle's going to get into here, and, and we're going to broaden this discussion. We're not just recapping the show. We know it's been several days. We're going to get this into a broader discussion about the direction of NXT. But I hated the finish. Uh, I think Ciampa should have won the title. I love Adam Cole. I think it's run its course. I think the Undisputed Era interfering, and that went on way, way too long. And uh, the Johnny Gargano heel turn made absolutely zero sense. Kyle, go ahead. Yeah, so you guys hit on a lot of the stuff that I was nitpicking on. Uh, very good to hear that we're in agreement here, so I don't feel crazy. Um, I felt a little... It's interesting that we are talking about this show, what, four days removed now from it? Mm. Because I wonder what I would have said if had we done an immediate review compared to what I'm going to say now. Um, I think I might have been harsher believe it or not, had we done it right away. Uh, I'm going to make a comment that's going to shock some people right now. This is the first takeover I'd actually consider giving a thumbs down to. Hmm. But I thought about it for a few days, and that's probably not fair. Because we got a lot of good and great wrestling on the undercard of this show. And for that, you can't give the show a thumbs down. But the reason I would even entertain the notion of a thumbs down And it's funny that we just talked about the Ruthless Aggression Era because, man, is there a comparison to be made here? Yeah, the in-ring's great, but the bad with the booking and the bad with the big picture in many ways outweighs the good of the in-ring. And the bad on this show is some big picture stuff that I have seen far too much of from NXT over the past 18 months. They are, with these matches, they are chasing the ghost of Gargano Almas and Gargano Ciampa in New Orleans. And it appears that, you know, I've heard the word excess a lot, and I couldn't agree more when talking about NXT. It appears that their way of improving upon past things they've done is, well, okay, the last match these guys did had six kickouts and air falls. So this one's going to have seven. The last match was 25 minutes. So this one's going to be 30. And I just don't think that's, you know, sometimes that's warranted. But I don't necessarily think that's great booking. I just think that's excessiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll lay out some of my criticisms right now. And I'll use some of the individual matches here. 
Um, even Lee Dijakovic, which I enjoyed, I think they actually had some better matches on NXT TV because they were tighter and shorter. Um, you know, Justin in a text thread said that he, he jokingly referred to NXT as more successful ROH. You know what I think it remind this match kind of reminded me of is modern ECW. In the sense that this match was built around like several key spots, but in between the key spots, and look, that springboard sent on that Dijakovic did when Lee was sitting in the chair, awesome. The power bomb, the no sell the power bomb was really cool. But like I just feel like it was spotty, these two. And I know maybe that's the point with these these two do, but I found myself kind of just fading out. And then there'd be a really cool spot, which would get over. I think Keith Lee's a stud. Make no mistake about it. But I didn't think this was their best effort. Um, from a star rating perspective, I'd give the match like three and a quarter, probably. And people would say, what? That's crazy. It's still a good match. I just think it wasn't like a match of the year contender. And, and a big criticism I have of NXT is every match is generally worked the same style where the participants are trying to deliver a match of the year contender. And they're fall they're falling short of that. I, you know, and with the ECW comparison, it's one of those things where, you know, there are people who really love it, just think everything is the best ever. And that was the way it was with ECW back in the day. People who lived through that. You know, the people who loved ECW just thought like every ECW match was so awesome. It was so much better than WWF and WCW. And that was just wrong at the time. And a, a lot of smart people called ECW fans on it, and I'm very happy to see that there's some very smart people online calling NXT fans on this stuff. Um, Justin hit on something. I think all these, ma- I think the majority of NXT matches now run five to ten minutes too long. You have this fake emotion and overacting. A lot of it's been attributed to Shawn Michaels as a producer, I've noticed, after key spots and near falls. You know, like with Tegan Knox. You know, she'd like hit Dakota Kai with the weapon and she'd be like, oh, my God, what have I done to my former friend? And it's like so overacting and campy or like near falls. Anytime somebody kicks out at two and nine tenths, the guy on top's go, I can't believe he kicked out of that. And then we cut to the crowd with somebody with their hands on their heads. And it's like NXT is so desperate to convey emotion. And it's funny because I've never seen a product heralded as good. That's I'm really so emotionless towards. That is a really good point. Yeah, it, it's just fake emotion, and then you have yeah. Moro. Don't I mean that's a separate podcast. All you know, well, I'm not even going to dignify his Nat King Cole reference <laughs> in regards to Adam Cole's title run. It made me want to vomit all over the room. <laughs> I mean, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> we celebrate Nat King Cole, unforgettable, and now we go to undisputed. It's like what are we? What are we doing, sports fans? Um, we can talk about Gargano in a minute. I think it's an absolute atrocity the way he's been booked over the last 18 months. But I want to concede two things. And and this goes back to a discussion we had on the program uh, a few months ago uh, in regards. It was actually the the last AEW pay-per-view. Remember Meltzer kind of uh, revised his view on Omega Moxley, the street fight, because he was like, well, the crowd was really into it. That's worth something. And I've seen a lot of that in this discussion with NXT where, well, the crowd's really into it, these matches and they are, and there's a lot of people who like this style. Maybe the three of us are a little more negative towards it, but there are undoubtedly 
a lot of people that like that do like this style. It was, I think, virtually every match on this show was over with the live audience. Um, the matches are undoubtedly athletic. Again, I'll concede that. But athleticism and live crowd reaction are not the full equation here when it comes to pro wrestling. Um, you, you know, we talked about this again with that Omega Moxley thing with the live crowd. It's a slippery slope to go down if you're just basing your star ratings on the live crowd's reaction. Because then you better, then Dave Meltzer better damn well be going in his 1980s observers and re-rating every WWF match if live crowd reaction is that big of a deal. Because mm-hmm. all of a sudden, Hulk Hogan, I mean, you know, Hulk Hogan matches got huge reactions, and he was given those nothing. Yeah. So I think it's a slippery slope. Like, live crowds can carry matches really high. Cena Punk, uh, the 10-man in, in Calgary. But it's not the end-all, be-all. And the part of the equation where NXT falls short is the storytelling. And Ryan, you you hit. I, I don't under Johnny Gargano turning heel here. I texted you immediately after I saw it. I said NXT's become comically bad. It's unforgivable to have him turn heel yeah. in this spot because one, who wants to see Gargano and Ciampa feud again right now with just the roles reversed? Mm-hmm. And we got a a peek into Johnny Gargano as a heel last fall. Not good. Not good. No, it sucked. <laughs> it was dumb. No one wants. The, dude, again, I don't want to rub it in. I was in New Orleans. People were ready in the modern era of WWE. People were ready to run through a wall for a babyface to get a championship run. They never really gave him a, a babyface title run, mm-hmm. and it, it's unforgivable. And I don't know. I, I just feel like I feel like NXT just wants to give these good matches, and they don't want to. There's proper stories to be told that aren't being told. Like in the case of Lee Dijakovic, I don't think Lee going 50-50 in a work rate match is the right call for him right now. He should be booked like Goldberg. Mm-hmm. He should just be running through motherfuckers. Mm-hmm. You know, build Dijakovic up over a long period of time and have that match mean something. Just don't do it because you know everyone's going to love it and shit fight forever. <laughs> Those chants are so played out, yeah. Stephanie's favorite chant, according to Paul, by the way. Is whose favorite? Stephanie McMahon's favorite uh, chant is funny. Yeah. You make it's a good point. Like, you make a good uh, point. I've been thinking about this for a long time, and, and I, I don't know. Hopefully that was somewhat coherent. But I, I just see... Um, I The storytelling in NXT ranges from non-existent to piss poor. Yeah. I agree with you, and... I'll admit to something here because when we talked about it, I think that night on the on the text thread, and I think it was just me and you. I don't think this was with Justin because we didn't want to spoil the show for him. Um, in the moment, now I hadn't watched the main event yet. I didn't watch the main event till recently because it got late, putting the kids to bed and stuff. But I saw the whole rest of the show Sunday night, and I liked the show quite a bit Sunday night, uh, just from like the in ring, like and you hinted at that, Kyle. In ring, it was, it's hard to give the show a thumbs down because there were good matches. But yeah, the greater the greater issue here is the creative direction and god damn it Kyle, you're so damn smart that every time I listen to you talk about this stuff, you really sway me and I agree with pretty much everything you said. So many issues right now creatively in NXT and I agree with what you said about Keith Lee. He should be booked like a monster. They do these kinds of matches maybe too often where you put him in there with 
Dijakovic and it's competitive where you should keep them apart longer, but they're obsessed with having these shows where like every match is blow away. So that's why they do that. Yeah. And by the way, I, I did not watch the episode yet, but I did read the results. They're teasing them doing another match. Yeah. Don't agree with that <laughs> at all. It's so law, just Justin had a great comment and I'll, I'll let you go in law of diminishing returns, folks circle that comment down because that was a great comment. Yeah. So I will say the Gargano heel turn thing at the end with Ciampa and the way that match ended and how the end of that match with Undisputed Era freaking dragged on forever really soured my rating on the show. Um, Some people are really, really high on the show, like very well-known podcasters. Um, You guys know Jason Solomon, Solomonster? He said that this was, I listened to his recap for a little while. He said that this was potentially like the best takeover of all time. Wow, I could not differ more. I really think it might have been one of the worst. Yeah, I I don't agree with if that. If not take, but the I, worst, I I will say though, no. like in the moment that night, I liked it quite a bit. But as time went on, and I thought more about the direction part of it, then I like my rating continually started to go down a little bit. But uh, yeah, I I don't know how you can you can rank it towards the top. I guess like work rate, it's pretty good. Like there wasn't really any. I guess Dakota Kai and Tegan Knox is probably the weak, weakest match, but it was still pretty good. I mean, there wasn't really any Until match. The finish. Yeah. There wasn't really any match that was, I mean, all of them were above average, I would say. All of them were like above average to good. I didn't think there was anything great. I'll knock your socks off right now. I didn't give a single match on this show four stars. And I don't think a single match on this show was as good as MJF versus Jungle Boy on Dynamite two weeks ago. <laughs> That's yeah. I I would give Balor Gargant. I probably this isn't like a a show where you're getting uh, you know multiple five star matches like you did at Takeover New Orleans, for example. Uh, I don't think Meltzer's ratings have actually dropped for this show yet, but I would probably have Balor Gargano around four and a quarter as my highest, and maybe the tag at. Four three and three quarters or four. And the yeah, that's what I would give the tag. And that was my match. Tonight. I love the broser weights, by the way. Yeah. That's something. And what are they doing with them guys? On NXT character development and kudos, by the way, we gave kudos to AEW for not doing the obvious thing with when they put page and uh, Omega together. You know, th- there was that dissension. You're like, Oh, well, they're just putting them together to break them up. I'm glad in both instances, they didn't do that because that's lame storytelling to throw a team together just to break them up a couple weeks later, just to do an insta feud. Yeah, I mean, the uh, con- this team, Go ahead, this team's got something to them, you know. Yeah. Because what were you doing with Riddle? What were you doing with Dunn? Otherwise, mm-hmm. in a singles capacity, probably not much. They were just going to flounder because there's too many people in NXT, which is a problem. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, to counter this on the Wednesday Night Wars, I think AEW is firing on all cylinders right now, and we're going to talk a lot about AEW next week because we'll have the preview for Revolution next week, which I will be at covering the show for Comic Book. So we'll talk a lot of AEW next week if that's what you're looking for. But, uh, yeah, I'd say AEW is really on the upswing right now. I mean, since January, pretty much, they've been putting on really good shows week to week, and NXT is... You know, you get your good wrestling, but creatively, I'm not, like, super invested right now. Well, like, you don't really look forward to any, And in this case, I it was the opposite of looking forward with the Gargano heel turn. Here's just a couple other nitpicks I want to talk about with storytelling in NXT. So that finish, 
we've all kind of alluded to it with the Dakota Kai and Tegan Knox, right? Mm-hmm. It was pretty bad. I think it's been, that's a pretty much a universally uh, held criticism that that finish sucked with Raquel Gonzalez coming in. Mm-hmm. Here's a, so I rewatched the finish of the match to make sure I saw this correctly. I don't know if you guys caught this, but th- th- this is it, this is something that bothers me. Dakota Kai clearly was like, "What is going on? What is she doing here?" You know, as the fellow heel, it makes zero sense to me why you'd have this personal grudge match, and you wouldn't have the heel in on the ruse of the person interfering. Yeah, it makes zero sense to do that. Like, if you want to make Dakota Kai a strong heel, she should have brought her in. It should have been a plan. Especially it, since, it, like, I think most of the crowd like, had no idea who she was coming yeah, out. Instead, there. it was my God, who is this woman, and why are you helping me? Yeah, you know, and we had Shawn Michaels theater going on there, of course. But I don't understand that. And then. Here's another thing, too. Again, maybe if I'm picking nits, folks, feel free. At TRP Kyle, just rip me. I don't give a damn. (laughs) He really doesn't. (laughs) Johnny Gargano gets beaten like a drum. Uh, Justin said he teabagged for the one, two, three by Finn Balor. And this is also bad storytelling. So the story that they're going to tell, I guess, is that the announcers at least try to do is, you know, losing to Finn was a breaking point. For Johnny Gargano. Maybe that's a story. Maybe he didn't. Some others have suggested. Well he didn't want to see Ciampa be the champion before him. Okay whatever. But like when you see somebody beaten like a drum like that. I guess I'm being kayfabe Kyle here. So he's turned heel. And now he's just going to be like awesome. And win matches. Yeah. Like if. If they want to tell that story that that was the that he's sick of losing, then Johnny Gargano better win every match by cheating. And I don't want to hear a goddamn peep from people who don't like clean finishes. Because if you're going to defend that turn, then that's the story they need to do. Johnny Gargano needs to cheat to win every match from here until the sun goes down, man. Mm-hmm. You know, and having you said that, that's why I'm not really – I don't think the execution was perfect on the turn at the end. Um, but I'm not down on it, and I'm not ready to judge it at all. Because I, I need an explanation as to why he did it. And I want to see where it's going forward. Uh, because frankly, you know, the big thing that we never got was any kind of uh, conclusion or, you know, climax to the Gargano Champa story, which, you know, might just be kind of that uh, Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens, you know, you know, throwing it back, fight forever kind of deal, you know, mortal enemies. Um, That's I, what I, I, I I want to see where it's going. And that's fair. And sometimes I can be very guilty of falling in love with what I think the story should be. And I, I, I am just very much opposed and I cannot get over this. I am very much opposed to how Johnny Gargano has been booked ever since he beat Tomasa Ciampa in New Orleans. The very logical thing to do was to put the NXT title on him and have him have a long run as a babyface champion that everyone liked. And they just didn't do it, and I don't understand why. Mm-hmm. I just don't. And, like, I hated when they turned him heel. I was scratching my head then, and I guess Justin's right. I think they are trying to kind of go back and tell whatever story they were trying to tell last year when Champa got hurt. But I kind of didn't like that story. 
whatever it was. And I didn't, you know, I wasn't liking how it was playing out. So that's clouded me as well. Yeah. Do we think we're headed for like a triple threat mania weekend with Cole mixed in with those two? No, I think you got to keep Cole out of it. It's got to yeah. be between Ciampa and Gargano. Yeah. And hopefully they blow it off. I think it might be Cole Balor. Yeah. I mean, what do you do with Balor after a win like that? I mean, you have to have him at the top of the card. And if goal, if goal, um, Gargano Ciampa is going to be your token match on the card that's not a title match, then Balor's got to be involved in some sort of title situation, right? Balor, Keith Lee. That's the other option I guess yeah. they could do. But you know what's funny about, and this is a thing too with NXT. So, Correct me if I'm wrong. Finn Balor and Adam Cole are both heels, right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. That was kind of a rhetorical question, but I just wanted to make sure that I had missed something. Um, that's going to be treated like, even though it's a heel versus heel match, like it's going to be treated like a babyface versus babyface match by that live audience. And that's like the thing with NXT. It's like, does any of the storytelling actually matter, or is it just, well, let's get the takeover and have the fans just love this in-ring action. And that's fine, I guess, if that's what you want out of your wrestling. I just I just don't think that's the way you do it. Yeah, I just feel, Yeah, go ahead. You've driven home the main point, you know. JBL and King Corbin, Hall of Famers, cuz they're <laughs> <That's>, true heels. <laughs> By the way, JBL, I'm going to squeeze him into the uh Ryan you said you, you the, about a JBL match to watch. Uh, stay tuned. Yeah. I mean, I, I would rather see a triple threat, to be honest with you. I, I just really don't – I don't really have that much interest in seeing Gargano and Ciampa work another singles match. But you throw Cole into the mix, make it a triple threat. I'm not usually a huge fan of triple threats. You do that, and then you do Keith Lee and Balor. I think I'm more interested in that, personally. But I don't know. We'll we'll see what direction they go in. We'll have plenty of time to talk about that over the next several weeks, heading into uh, Mania Weekend in Tampa. So – Kyle, do you want to transition to the deep dive of the week then? You got anything else left to say? No, we're going to do two this week. All One right. is a pro. Oh, okay. First ever deep dive. All right. All right well, with, with that said, I have to do the intro because I haven't done this in a few weeks with, with the music and everything. I think it is time for the Kyle Ross I Love This Sport deep dive of the week. Take it away, Kyle. Uh, so, Ryan? You said that you wanted a JBL match, or you alluded to, I don't know a JBL match to uh, recommend to people. Well, I'll give you one. Judgment Day 04, bull rope match with Eddie Guerrero. Bloodbath. Love it. Yeah. I. Who was I talking to the other day? I quoted that as like probably my favorite JBL match, if I had to pick one. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Vince McMahon apparently hated it. Hated the amount of blood, according to Bruce Pritchard. Wait, that, that's the one where Eddie bled like a... Oh, yeah, all, all over God's green earth. Mm-hmm. Man, that's a, that's a tough watch. <laughs> yeah, Vince apparently was going uh, uh, batshit crazy in Gorilla, according to Pritchard's podcast on that show. So, But I, I think I think it's really good. And, you know, people, again, because that hard right turn day with JBL, where all of a sudden he's an insta-main eventer <laughs> because he changed characters... I think maybe they didn't get into that feud, but the character work in that feud was actually quite good. Um, as to whether JBL should have been champion for as long as he was, probably not, but whatever. It's a good match. You should watch it. Uh, promo I'm going to recommend for the deep dive of the week. So this goes back a couple weeks and is just due to the fact we haven't done a 
show in a few weeks. Um, so I texted you guys and didn't get much of a response. Maybe you were just sick of me ripping Finn Balor and Johnny Gargano all the time. And just, I've had enough of this, man. But that face-to-face promo they did uh, on NXT TV a few weeks ago, I thought was absolutely horrific. The whole line that Gargano had, now that's the NXT Finn Balor that I want, not the guy who lost Bobby Lashley 17 times. That is so counterproductive and shitty. Mm-hmm. I mean, what are we doing? So, we, so, so okay, so you're just telling us it's fake? <laughs> it just so happened that, and by the way, what happened to that drive? I guess that's gone now, but whatever. I'm done with NXT. Anyway, it just so happens that I watched another face-to-face style interview uh, a couple days later. And, uh, you know, WWE's not uploading the classic content like they used to, but they did. Uh, somehow I missed it initially. I don't know when they did it. They uploaded a few more 1989 primetime wrestlings onto the list and, um, you know, taking you through SummerSlam of that year. And right before SummerSlam, uh, they had Roddy Piper started hosting, co-hosting primetime with Gorilla and Bobby. Uh, they started doing the Bobby Heenan show uh, around that time. And this all built to Piper and Rude and the start of that feud. Well, Bobby Heenan and Roddy Piper did this face-to-face style promo. They were in different studios. And I was watching it, and I was like, I cannot believe how much better this is than that Johnny Gargano Finn Balor business. And the sad thing was, Bobby Heenan may have come off as tougher than Johnny Gargano. Ooh. So what's the date on this show, Kyle? August 13th, 1989. This was, uh, I believe, two weeks before SummerSlam. And again, it, it's all building towards Roddy Piper's interference in the Ultimate Warrior Rick Rude IC title change. Which okay. is a really good match. It's one of like, it's Ultimate Warrior's first great match. Very good, guys. Check it out. Email us your thoughts. If you do watch it, topropenation at gmail.com. And another thing you can do is you can send us an email about absolutely anything pro wrestling related that's on your mind. And we'll read it on the air and we'll discuss it here in our questions from listeners segment. This week we got one from Greg who writes in. He says, okay, so this may have been alluded to on shows in the past, but with the buildup to some of the matches at Mania and TakeOver being what it is, is it time for the when is so-and-so going to be called up discussion to end when it comes to NXT? Survivor Series last year showed that the three brands can intermingle when necessary. Wouldn't it be smarter business move to have some feuds go between shows, like Keith Lee challenged Seth Rollins and the feud plays out between Raw and NXT? With guys like Ciampa saying they would quit before going main roster, isn't this the best way to keep the shows fresh across the board and to get got, get eyes on NXT darlings without dramatically increasing their dates and bump the cards? What do we think, guys? What do you think about Greg's question here? Should they do more of this intra-mingling and uh, not talking about call-ups anymore? I, okay, he, he's, he's right in that there shouldn't be. The call-ups need to be gone. That's over. Um, I do not like the intermingling. I, I like keeping the brands at least somewhat separate. Um, that kind of makes, you know, like the Charlotte stuff a little bit more special. Um, but all they need to do, like they've always should have done with these brand splits, the thing that makes uh, MLB and NBA and NFL uh, things really intriguing, trades. You just got to do trades. That's all there is to it. That's how you fix this. Mm-hmm. Kyle? Yeah, I think the whole, oh, I can't wait till this guy's 
going to get called up. I think that's already died down because we see when these NXT folks move to Raw or SmackDown, it often doesn't go very well and they get lost in the shuffle. So I've, you know, I think that was, you know, something a couple years ago, whenever someone was succeeding in NXT, everybody like, oh, I can't wait to see this get brought to the main roster. And then it would get brought to the main roster and it just wasn't the same. So I think just because of that, it's already died down and come to a bit of an end. Um, there are going to be people who are better served on NXT. I don't think Johnny Gargano or Tommaso Ciampa is ever going to Raw or SmackDown. I mean, Ciampa's been very vocal that he refuses to. And, uh, you know, that probably plays a role in them fighting forever. <laughs> Getting back to that joke. Uh, Johnny Gargano just would not be the same on Raw or SmackDown, I don't think. There are certain guys who I absolutely think would be better served on Raw or SmackDown. Keith Lee, for instance, I think you just work some of the kinks out, make sure he's ready to work, you know, on, you know, the show's live now, so that's huge for the guys. Before it was that big, we always talked about the big jump going from pre-tape to live. Well, now with NXT being live, um, it's less of a deal jumping from NXT to Raw or SmackDown. So there are some guys who I still think should make the move, but it's all a question of, when the timing's right. Like, if a guy is getting stale and is plateaued in NXT and he's ready for Raw and SmackDown, he probably should be moved, just as a guy, if he's stale on Raw, would be moved to SmackDown, or mm-hmm. vice versa. Yeah. So, I, to me, it's it's an individual case-by-case. Case. I, I, I think, the super, you know, to Justin's point, just doing, like, a trade when it seems natural is much better than the arbitrary superstar shakeup. You know, every year we're just going to change people because it's April. That's exactly I, what I was going to say. Yeah, Justin. I, I got one for you. The Undisputed Era for Daniel Bryan and a wrestler to be named later. <laughs> <laughs> so, Undisputed Era, I also think, works much better in NXT, although I think it's plateaued completely, you know, which Ryan said earlier. I think, honestly, Adam Cole could be a babyface and feed with the rest of the group. Yeah. Is something that is probably... Because Adam Cole is over as a babyface, no matter what he does. Yeah. I mean, the the crowd loves when he comes down. They love going, boom. They love all that, baby. <laughs> they, they love all that shit, man. He's a babyface. Mm-hmm. Um... So I love the idea of Daniel Bryan going to NXT and just like work, just doing random matches. Oh yeah. That would be great. Yeah. That's why I threw it out there. Yeah. I agree. I I would like the trays just completely out of nowhere. I don't like, like the superstar shakeup where it's all planned and announced in advance. I, if you just broke in with like (laughs) breaking news, I don't know how planned it is, but it's kind of just happens in April. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) yeah, but you know what I mean? Like they, they advertise it and you know, something's going to happen. I I would like like out of nowhere, breaking news, like this big trades happening, that kind of thing. Um, I, I agree that the call up era is, is over though. Justin, imagine the, uh, interest they could drum up by like leaking, trades to you know certain news websites you know it's like oh shit we heard this trade might be going down you know they could uh kayfabe it or you know or not i think it would drum up a lot of interest Mm -hmm. yeah i agree i think that's a great great idea and yeah with with the show live on national cable now i think uh yeah the the whole draw for going up to the main roster is kind of over so um yeah, I think I think trades is the way to go. We'll see how they how they take it, but uh, yeah, NXT is definitely its own brand now. Like 
pretty close to on par with with the main roster. They just need to start touring in, in uh, bigger venues and taking, I think, the weekly show on the road. So, all right, guys, good show. Good to talk pro wrestling with you guys again after a few weeks off. We'll definitely be doing this a lot more regular moving forward based on our uh, our coming announcement. So uh, we'll be back with you next week. It'll be the AEW Revolution uh, preview show. We're going to be having some guest hosts coming on in the coming weeks as well. Some new voices to Top Rope Nation as well as maybe some guests we've had in the past rejoining the panel. I think one of them. Kyle mentioned earlier, uh, Andrew from Matt Men. Definitely going to get him back on the show. It's been a while. been talking to him. He wants to come back on. So uh, probably at some point in the road to WrestleMania, we'll get Andrew back on the show. Uh, so any any parting comments, fellas, before we take it home here? NXT is actually bad. <laughs> <laughs> Something, you know, a couple of years ago, I don't think I would have ever thought nope. kyle ross would say and i'm being facetious with that it's not actually bad it's just <laughs> There's it's issues. just good wrestling it, it's just good wrestling i don't care about <laughs> <laughs> you know what i do care about kyle is our patrons over at patreon.com oh, that was, oh, <laughs> was that a transition <laughs> that's why they pay me the big bucks guys thanks so much as always to all of our supporters Derek, gabe jake kyle tim liam ryan sean and greg Always appreciate you guys getting the exclusive content. I'll have an exclusive video up for you all this weekend from the Drosty household. You can plan on that. You can plan on more Top Rope Nation Classics episodes in the future. And like I said, uh, the announcement we'll be revealing next week is already up on patreon.com slash Nation. Check it out. Sign up. We'll send you a free gift in the mail. All the details are over there on the website. So with that being said, I'm Ryan Drosty. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryan, D-R-O-S-T-E. Kyle's at TRP Kyle and Mr. Justin Joint at Justin Joint, J-O-Y-N-T, and the show is at Top Rope Nation. We'll check you guys next week. Have a great weekend.